Hello, everybody. You're probably thinking, hmm, Travis sounds different today. And yes, I'm currently getting over a slight cold from last week, and I'm actually not Travis. My name is Finner, and I'm currently interning with the amazing team here at Fool and Scholar Productions. And I'm here today to tell you about the last city. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. A geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors like Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Torado, and Maury Sterling. You can follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A big thanks to Wondery for supporting shows like The White Vault. And now, on with the scheduled programming. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Travis here, the producer, sound designer, co-creator, and whatever of The White Vault. And I'm here today to talk about something that we've spent a lot of time making. Spoiler free, so you don't have to worry about listening to something first. A mini-series called Avram. And while this is not directly uh, how we made The White Vault, it is how we made a White Vault mini-series. And all the elements you're about to hear are the sort of love that we put into every episode of The White Vault main series. We just happen to have a really easy narrative for this story. So... I'm going to walk us through what it took to bring this story to life. We put a lot of work into all the stories that we make, and this miniseries was no exception. As you'll hear, it was actually quite far from many. Uh, This story was just as much work, if not more, than many full seasons of shows that we've made. So we're going to give you a bit of a guided tour of the creative process that brought Avram to life, and also uh, share some of the fun moments we had, because even though the subject matter is quite serious with Avram, uh, that is the 1648 Cossack Massacre, um, which is a very terrible moment in history, we did have a lot of fun making a story and working with a cast and crew to really bring it to life. Hi, I'm K.A. Stats, the writer and creator of The White Vault and The White Vault Avram, and I am the scholar in Fool and Scholar Productions, uh, that being our core team of myself, K.A. Stats, and Travis Vengroff, my partner, husband, and (laughs) (laughs) do-gooder. Writing Avram was a wonderful experience. Writing historical fiction can be incredibly difficult, and... 
it's definitely an undertaking. When we decided we were going to tell a story along these lines, we had a very, or I had a very different idea in mind originally. And by taking several different ideas and deciding how it is that I wanted to tell the story and exactly narrowing it down on what kind of story I wanted to tell within the world of the White Vault, I was able to come together with this idea for the Avram story to take place during the 1648 Cossack uprising. Sorry, our dog entered the room <laughs> with his little clicky clacky toes. Um, the 1648 Cossack uprising and a story that told not only a piece of my world of horror, but showcased horror in the real world and in real history. One of the chests contained this journal, certainly a rare, if not singular, find. One of the things that was such a great help to us when we were creating the story and when I was writing it was that we got to have a cultural consultant who looked through everything that I had spent so much time writing to make sure that even if I had done as much research as I could possibly do, there are people who are always going to know more than what I can find out. Natan was such a great benefit to our story and to being able to tell an incredibly realistic representation of the time and then making it into a piece of audio and horror fiction. One of the other things I really wanted to do with Avram was move away from the white vault being entirely found footage. So we use the framework of found footage to bridge these pieces of Avram together, but then we go into a real-time representation of what is happening to this boy during this time period. And it's a great way for me to introduce the core White Vault uh, listenership to the White Vault without the braces and the box of found footage. I've really grown as a writer since I started the creation of the White Vault, oh my gosh, five years ago now. So being able to tell the story in a different way is something that I couldn't have done back then. And I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to do so now with Avram. So one of the things I really enjoy about getting to write is I get to do research. Uh, <laughs> I want to make sure that things are very, very accurate down to strange things like weather patterns and which trees and fruits and plants are in bloom during the season. So when Avram and the other people in this group are talking about different foods that they're seeing, things that they can collect and eat, they're talking about actual plants that I looked up using scientific articles to make sure that they would be from that region during that time. They were historically documented as things people would have eaten and they would be in season. <laughs> so, and on top of that, when they talk about when the wind is blowing in a certain direction, where they can see smoke and where they can't see smoke, I also consulted actual wind and weather charts from the area to make sure that I wasn't magically making up this like northern wind or something. <laughs> so that's also been one of those things that I absolutely enjoy creating. Maybe not so much a cultural consultant on that, but there were a lot of consulted papers on whether or not what I was writing made any sense. Yehuda's position as a local arendator would have made them a well-off and learned Jewish family for the time. The journal takes a very drastic and upsetting turn over halfway through, starting at the page I have indicated for you to begin your examination. 
One of the most important parts about telling the story of Avram was that the story of the white vault itself that's happening in this storyline is, depending on your viewpoint, possibly not the most horrifying thing happening in the story. The 1648 Cossack uprising terrorized entire villages, entire peoples in the area, and that's part of this real and true story and this true horror that happened during this time. And it's interesting to see this dynamic of inserting a a false horror, so a fictional horror, on top of and into this reality. And in the end, you come out of it thinking, which part here was scarier? What did you think was scarier as a listener? And that might entirely come from whether or not you have any kind of attachment to this place and this historical event. And, of course, I am incredibly lucky that when I'm done writing a story, I get to hand it off to my fool, my partner, and my husband, Travis, the producer who takes my words and makes it into the absolutely flawless creation that you guys get to hear. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Okay, so production began with me getting the script and realizing I have to cast a bunch of voices who spoke a bunch of languages that I did not, and I did not know anyone who did speak these languages, like Ukrainian, like Yiddish, like Georgian. We looked far and wide to find this cast, and we put out a lot of all calls all across the internet trying to find the right people. Hello, I'm Boris Bendeliani. I submitted your proposal because uh, I speak English fluently. I'm a native Georgian speaker, and I think I can do this job very well. Thank you in advance. When you put out an all-call for people who are speaking different languages and you're asking for people who can speak Georgian, uh, we got quite a few Americans who auditioned from Georgia or who have visited Georgia, the state, and, and they didn't fully understand what we were asking for. Even though the opening line for the audition is this very non-Roman or English uh, character-filled page. So it was quite interesting to see all the auditions we would get where people would use Google Translate and try to say these words. And to clarify, that was actual Georgian. And while it was sort of easy to figure out who was who, um, it did take a little bit of time to go through the 100-plus emails of people who just didn't read the instructions. But we got through it, we powered through, we found most of our amazing cast. It was particularly hard to find uh, children and people who can speak Yiddish. Uh, and we're also interested in voice acting. It's a, a smaller Venn diagram than you might think. And many of our actors were first-time actors, which means they'd never uh, intended to be actors that we, we just found them as, as I do. Uh, they didn't reply to the auditions. Uh, I, I sought them out, looking through really old audition reels and through various translation sites and anywhere that had something that indicated that someone was bilingual and potentially interested in voice acting. Um, a number of people we've worked with in the past had these really cool profiles from like 10 years ago where they were going to be a voice actor and then they stopped voice acting because life got in the way. And I have a habit of sort of finding these people and sending them invitations to be the leads on our shows. And now they were getting this weird email from this guy in America saying, not only we would like you to be the lead actor of our audio drama, but it's also largely in English. And some of our actors did not speak English very much. These individuals had had maybe a lesson or two um, in, in middle school and hadn't really spoken it since. Uh, and they weren't initially comfortable, but we were able to work through it and, and direct them and get them uh, comfortable with the roles and with their voices. 
And uh, when we gave them the Georgian parts, they would really light up. And we would always ask them, can you please read the part in Georgian first? Uh, like, uh, stern. What does it mean? Stern. In, s- mm-hmm. uh, in Georgian, yes? <laughs> And you could just see it um, in their faces because uh, we were doing Zoom calls. The actors had never gotten to speak their language as a character or seen their language on, like, you know, an American television show. And now suddenly they're the main character and they're getting to speak their native tongue. I should be fearful and angry also. <laughs> So we were recording these really talented individuals, many whom had never acted before, but willing to give us a shot, and did a fantastic job. Another thing, one of our lead actors was the member of a guild, which required us to follow guild rules, which meant that we had very specific parameters on working with cast. So we had very limited access to actors, and as a result... Uh, we decided to live direct through Zoom because we're in COVID and across the world. Uh, so we directed every single session, um, which was a new set of unique challenges for us. Many of you probably don't know this, but we usually don't direct our actors. We just let them read the script, give us a couple of takes, and edit it all together. So this was a completely new experience for us. I was alone in the studio. The director was remote. The engineer was remote. Really, really weird. Frankly, it was like being alone in a ghost town. Coughing is on my resume under special skills, by the way, so. <laughs> it also led to some pretty funny moments during production of Yelena Schmidt. Yelena Schmulensen. Schmulensen. Yelena Schmulensen. Yeah, it's very easy. I don't understand why people get so worried about it. We've got someone in Russia who's going to be reading okay, it. Okay, well, then they're going to say Yelena Schmulensen. Hopefully, hopefully not. <laughs> And I did send this exact clip to our actor in Russia. Yelena Shmulinson. Azavrum. No pressure. Yelena <laughs> Shmulinson. And we were also generally recording with at least a 12-hour time zone difference. So as they were getting into the studio and getting to record at about, you know, 10 in the morning, it's 10 in the evening my time, so I can't direct with, like, full energy. <laughs> it was quite uh, quite an experience. Um, so, like, it was every night, I think, from, from 10 to 2 in the morning, I would be recording someone for about a week. Our home is very far. <laughs> that was too bad. <laughs> Our home is very far. Wait, I, I still make uh, an accent on V, right? Our home is very far. He may not want to come. It became very apparent that we needed someone for our leading role, Rivka, and we couldn't find uh, an actual little girl that we could traumatize with a story. And I was talking with the person who helped translate the majority of the languages in the story, Lika Kushvila, and asked her if she could audition for one of the roles, because she'd been sending us audio files of her saying the lines, and she sounded really natural. She'd never acted before, didn't see herself as a voice actor. She was comfortable enough to send us an audition. We protected what is to come. I do. And did a wonderful job. He's my little brother now, and he promised to find me a way home. And now we have a way home. So he's coming. She also recorded the entire story in a single day. And about an hour and a half into the session, there was a power outage and we lost everything that was recorded up till that point. It was tough, but she said she wanted to keep going. She wanted to just power through it. And she did a phenomenal job. I'll help you. I'm sure Jura will. I'll help you. <coughs> Here's my, where my voice goes. <laughs> I'll help you. I'm sure Jura will. 
Like, I need to be quiet here or not? Okay, gotcha. Okay. את יכולה לשמור את מה שהקלטנו עכשיו? And in addition to being phenomenal as Rivka, she speaks four languages. And our, our session, our recording session, was actually not even in English. The engineer didn't speak English. My papa speaks Turkish and Abkhaz and... Most of our sessions were actually like that with the engineers speaking Russian or Hebrew or Korean. It was quite fun putting everything together. And it was very interesting arranging all these recording sessions around the world. Jura! What is Jura? Ah, it's name! Okay, okay, okay. I just think that is like in Georgian Ura, that means yay. And I thought maybe that. <laughs> okay, Jura. So there were also some cultural things that came up, um, different variations on, on words and names that wound up switching a lot of times as we were getting into pre-production. And it was very intentional and very specific, even down to the specific nature of how to spur a horse to action uh, for the Cossacks and things of that nature, which proved to be quite comical at times. What, stopping a horse in Ukrainian? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me ask you, Lena, just a second. <laughs> okay. Did you hear that? Oh, uh, it is. I'm sorry. It's... That's what it is. So there's sound in it. Yeah. Okay. So the horse sound. All right, so come back and remind me of it. Buses? It sounds idiotic to me, too. You're not putting your face in the water and going... That's what it sounds like. The sound comes in this... Not from here, it's from two. Okay. Is there any way of is there any other alternative any uh, the Ukrainian way of stopping a horse? I'm sorry, it's been a while since I stopped a horse, but this is it. <laughs> One more time. The word is Aha, uh-huh, so there's a word underneath that. Sort of. Gotcha, okay. One day later. Oh, I have something else to tell you. So overnight, I have consulted my Ukrainian sources with the how the Cossacks um, stop and start a horse. Those things we did yesterday. So that is correct. But but that was that was the funniest thing. But the the you know go horsey go whatever you call it giddy up. Um, I the, it, we did it. What you have to say, the word is vyo. It's like V-Y-O. So it sounds like, I'm going to back away from the mic. So it sounds like vyo. So Alan, Alan can record it at home because this was actually his version. I think he only recorded the, the, the pashla. And one of the other things that was uh, unique about the show is that the story is actually quite personal to us. Um, my ancestors did survive the, the events presented in the story. I know Yelena, who is the voice of Avram, had a similar experience with her family. And people take historical fiction that present um, very serious events very seriously, and rightly so, and that's, that's acceptable and fine. Yelena, the lead actress, who was Avram, was fantastic throughout the entire process, but it was very important for us to get every element of the story right for a number of reasons, including personal ones. 
but especially the Yiddish. It's like somebody's going to spend the, the entire episode waiting for that tiny little thing that you can barely hear. I would not. No, no. Listen, you you don't know about the Yiddish word. The Yiddish world is basically like that. If I make one mistake in any of this, there will be three people. There will be three people who would let who would find my email and let me know about it. It is even though it is entirely unimportant. <laughs> right. What do I, what do I know about your Jewish things? Yeah, I don't know how you live with yourself. So throughout this episode, you may have noticed a drastic difference in microphone quality. Another interesting element is that every microphone we recorded on was drastically different, and we had quite the challenge of making them all sound like they were in the same room talking to each other without uh, any, using any of the found footage tricks from our other shows. <laughs> okay, so uh, we are on Ryusha, right? Our first war. And similarly, none of the actors were in the same room as each other. They were all recording separately in isolation. Okay, Namirov. Okay. So I'll give you three more takes on the screaming one. And then many of our actors really also enjoyed getting to do things like scream or yell. Yeah, like scream, scream, not whispering and screaming, like yeah. actually scream. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you want me to scream ah or like ah like like this or what kind of, what kind of scream uh, are you searching for? <laughs> but higher, right? Yeah. Louder. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, okay. And while getting stabbed or hurt in real life is not very fun, it's quite a unique and interesting process as an actor. Okay. Oh, sh- oh, oh, I'm stabbed, okay. Uh, uh, before, before I speak? Oh, 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 that's right, I didn't scream, yeah, okay. Oh, and that's, at the moment I'm being stabbed, that's why I'm screaming? Okay, and, and the scream is, again, because I'm being physically, I'm being physically murdered. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I can't uh, fortunately I can't draw on life experience. So <laughs> Okay. And after all the recording, we have all these pieces we have to put together like a puzzle. You may want to stay here and stay away from us. Oh, they're crying. <laughs> That's okay. So this is like the end, the end. So one of the other big elements about Avram is the music. People have really enjoyed the introduction theme, so we're going to take a quick moment to explain how it sort of came into being. A few years ago, Brandon Boone wrote a theme song for The White Vault, which many of you are familiar with. So for this song, the song of Avram, we envisioned it as a more traditional remix of sorts with strong klezmer influences and acoustic instruments. So Stephen Malin wrote and recorded an arrangement in an afternoon and sent me this. I really liked many elements of it, but we wanted to change up the lead melody. So Stephen wrote and recorded a new lead violin part that afternoon. And Stephen was very generous. He allowed me to have the individual files of each instrument and play with them a little bit. And we combined both of the violin melodies together, and he added a bunch of other things as well. Mm-hmm. 
with that final-ish arrangement, uh, I added even a little bit more. Stephen was open to me adding accordion to it and doubling the lead melodies, and we got live cello, as you can hear. And we also uh, swapped out some of the synth stuff with actual instruments, most notably the choir, which we stole from one of our earlier recordings, strangely enough, from Vast Horizon. Finally, we extended the song by doubling the introduction part and then also keeping that cello at the end with that extra oomph. So here's the final version of what it sounds like. Episode number, title. So I'm going to pass this off to Dane Leonardson, um, who I work with on everything at this point. We worked with Dane a long time ago on Liberty Critical Research, and he just recently joined our team full-time to create more complex soundscapes in every story that we bring to life. Dane joined us at the start of this project, and he has been involved for every episode of it. He's also the mixing engineer for Avram. I feel particularly lucky because... I'm no longer alone in the world of editing and sound designing, but I've got someone to bounce ideas off of who I consider very much an equal and has a really great ear for things. I feel very strongly that the two of us create better work together than either one of us could create alone. And we're both particularly excited to work together on finishing up season five of The White Vault. My name is Dane Leonardson, and I worked as the lead sound designer on White Vault Avram. It was an incredible project to take part in. It presented me with a number of challenges. One of the main focuses I had was ensuring that everything stayed as authentic as possible from start to finish. Especially since Travis and Caitlin were able to land Israeli, Georgian, Ukrainian actors, etc. So realism was obviously a priority. And for me, finding the right nature sounds was my biggest hurdle. I spent hours just picking out animals specific to Ukraine. Red deer. Wapiti. Eurasian hoopos. Wolves. And a ton of others, but in the end it paid off and we were left with a lush soundscape. This enabled me to make that forest come alive. And when Avram and company were constantly on the move, I used these animals to make the forest kind of move around them. I even have a fly bump into Avram in one of the episodes. But when trying to reach this level of realism, I ran into another issue. The monster. In a world that's so believable, it's hard not to go overboard with fiction elements and break the listener's immersion, so we distanced the monster to where it was always just over the hill or around the bend from Avram. But the terror it creates is always hot on your heels, which brings me to the action sequences. So the story takes place from the first-person perspective of Avram, so action scenes were tough to get right. We had massive armies attack on horseback, using mostly swords and the occasional muzzle-loaded guns that served as precursors to what we now call muskets. We had bullets zip past Avram's head and strike the person next to him. Crows constantly stalking Avram, hoping he would give up and provide them with a nice meal. Soldiers trampling through the forest looking for any escapees. Spoilers. Skipping this audio. On top of all that, like I said previously, there was a monster breathing down their neck. No, 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 no. This is also spoiler territory. We're going to skip this one. I'll never forget this project. It was an incredible experience for me just helping make it. 
Avram caused me to not only grow as an engineer, but it took me on this amazing journey along the way. And I can't thank you guys enough for listening. I know there's plenty of entertainment to choose from. This story is deep and meaningful, and it sticks with you. Another huge thanks to the awesome team of Fool and Scholar, and I can't wait to bring more worlds to life with you guys. Thanks, Dane. And likewise. So I hope this gives some insight into just how much work and love and passion goes into every episode of The White Vault. We're very excited to be bringing to life our fifth and final season of the main story very shortly in the next couple of weeks, and look forward to sharing that with you soon, as well as what lies beyond. If you were interested in hearing more of the White Vault Avram, you can find the entire story on our Patreon at patreon.com slash foolandscholar because we are in fact fan-funded. That is our primary source of income. That's how we can do what we do. So Dane and I will get back to work on the White Vault Season 5. Again, thank you so much for your support as listeners, as patrons, whatever you might be. We hope to bring even more stories like this to life in the future. And until then, travel is not advised. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.